Blog Talk Radio. Skype to Skype 
Skype the Skype calls. So please join in and uh, share with us. As always, I'm trying to get back in the format that we did. Um, we always love to share news with our listeners, and we're going to start off with a little bit of the news that's uh, been going on. And first, of course, I will I want to address the uh, shooting that happened uh, last week with Congresswoman uh, Gabriela Giffords and all those people who were injured and lost their lives because of a young man. Uh, with mental instability, and um, you know, he caused uh, so many people so much grief. And uh, as always, there was always missed opportunities to uh, to address his issues, his demeanor, and all kinds of things that that led up to um, his shooting uh, shooting rampage. And you know, all we can continue to do is pray for those who lost loved ones, pray for those who are being restored to health uh, because of uh, being injured in the accident, in the shooting. Pray for, of course, Congresswoman Gilford and her family. And and also don't forget to pray for the young man. Uh, I think oftentimes we forget the criminal is also a victim. Now, I'm not advocating all of that. I mean, he committed a very violent act and um there's a lot of a uh, great need that he has to be that he has to receive, but we we don't need to forget him in prayer. Uh, everybody sins, and and no big thing, no small thing. But we do need to realize that um, <clears throat> that um, we can pray for him also. <clears throat> that that God would would heal his mind and soul and restore him. Um, there, there's always, you know, sometimes people get on the inside and they change their lives, but we know how it is, some of us, some of us don't. But nonetheless, uh, pray for him also. What bothered me, of course, what bothered, bothered many people is the, uh, the way it was quickly polarized and politicized. And we can't get away from that sometimes, but we need to realize that everything isn't about politics. Um our country is so polarized right now. But if you really begin to look at it, um, in on the eve of every major move or every major change or every major reformation in this country, there is always some heavily polarized politis- politics. We go back to, you know, even on the rev- during the revolution. Uh, during the time of the country's founding, there was polarization because some people wanted to stay loyal to England, and others, peop- others wanted to be free and, and independent. And as we had other movements, uh, in particular, you know, the civil rights movement, the great polarization between the North and the South over states' rights, and not so much as slavery as we've made it out to be. It was more states' rights and. Of course, by the time President Lincoln was elected, there was great polarization in this country, and yet it led to, you know, it led to a temporary moment of uh, instability, and, but it also led to a great moment for black people once we received the freedom, not just proclaimed by the Emancipation Proclamation, but once we received the freedom, uh, something happened. We we began. We started out in the South, 
in particular in the South, you know, we, we started our own schools, we started our own colleges, we started our own churches, we started neighborhoods, we became wealthy, we became powerful. Some of us were even able to be uh, elected officials, both on the federal and state and local level. So that that was a major change. And, and then as we shift, you know, we saw other changes happening. There was all some, always some great political polarization, and I, I can't imagine what was what will happen to us in the in the upcoming future. But what I do know is that it will ultimately work out for the glory of God and for the benefit of all people. And so, you know, there's there's, there's nothing we can really do about it other than pray and get involved and uh, be aware. Um, more aware of what's going on in our country. Well, I'm also really curious to see how uh, President Obama will forge ahead as our country's leader uh, now. You know, uh, we talk about great presidents and how great presidents are forged um, in the time of trial in a nation. And we look at other presidents, and uh, some people have been comparing him to President Bush uh, after 9-11 and um, I was very disappointed how some people brought, uh, how some uh, media outlets portrayed his uh, speech at the uh, memorial service in, in Arizona, and some were calling it a pep rally, some were calling it not somber enough. But hey, you know, it doesn't matter. He showed um, some great, he showed great insight, and he um, showed that he can be a leader in this time of uh, weariness and trials for the country. Uh, the good thing is that he didn't politicize it, and uh, he didn't spend a great deal about out of it. But he did let it know it was not all about politics. People lost their lives, and the person who committed the heinous crime had politics did not have politics in mind. But this could be his um, turning point <laughs> for his presidency. It could. It could be uh, the time for him to show that he is he is what the country needs at this time, and there's opportunities for him to do that. And, uh, uh, of course, people have been reminiscing to Bill Clinton after uh, the Oklahoma City bombings, and, and uh, he was in a very similar situation with a majority uh, Republican Congress and a national tragedy, and he found a way to become uh, a wonderful, great leader for the country during that time. And we also know that he was not the only one. Of course, we have several examples. I, I'm just quoting Clinton because those are the ones that is the president that uh, Barack Obama is currently being uh, compared to sometimes since he's a Democrat. But this is an opportunity for him to show his leadership and to show what he is really capable of doing. And it would be a great opportunity. It would be a great thing if he found the center at least the country in the way that they should, we need to be and where we need to go. But again, in the midst of this polarization, his integrity must shine forth. He must show that he is not a leader for a party, but a leader for the people. So this is this is going to be an interesting uh interesting year for his uh, presidency. And for those who are really willing to, really, really, really ready to get him out, uh, you probably you probably see some things that will make you figure that he's not capable. But, you know, 
Time will tell. Today, of course, is the federal observance of Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday. Uh, and we, of course, will dedicate a great deal of this show to uh, his memory. And I, you know, along with others, will be participating in various events uh, recognizing Dr. King. And uh, I'll, I'll give some more comments about Dr. King, and I'm going to share some of his speeches and uh, some things that have impacted me and a little bit about uh, a little from my sermon I preached yesterday regarding uh, Dr. King. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back from this break, we're going to begin our second segment as we talk about Dr. King and his legacy and how God used him as we go forth into this new year. We're taking a quick break. Be back right after this. Dr. King did some wonderful things, and 
you know, a lot of us fail to to fully uh, fully recognize all that all that was done that that people did to secure this great uh, holiday for us. And what saddens me is not so much that we get the day off. It's that the the, the children of the nation really don't really comprehend. Dr. Martin Luther King and the holiday and what it took to get the holiday and um, all of those things and saddens me because you know they may do a few King yeah, most of them will only quote uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's "I Have a Dream" speech and that's about as far as they will go. They don't get into anything else about the struggle and, I, and it saddens me about that. Uh, yesterday in my message, um, I, I acknowledged the fact that a lot of our children. And some of my, you know, my generation and some older adults would care to forget. Uh, well, the children don't really know, but the older adults in my generation care to forget all that uh, people did, uh, not just with Dr. King, but during the legacy, uh, during the civil rights movement. And the civil rights movement was not just limited from '55 to '68. Actually, you know, civil rights was going on as early as, you know. The 19th century, when when abolitionists were lobbying for the um, repeal of slavery, uh, to, to get it out to free slaves, and and those people, black slaves, who escaped to the north and became not just uh, not just abolitionists and not just people, but they fought in the country. You know, they fought for the union in the Civil War. They were, you know, they were representing their race and all of those things. And yet they were, you know, still withheld the basic human rights granted to them by the Constitution. I want to start this uh, this broadcast, this this segment off by uh, replaying not the "I Have a Dream" speech, but I want to replay the last speech Dr. King gave uh, at Mason Temple Church of God in Christ on August the third, nineteen sixty-eight, the night before he was assassinated. And I, I want to look backwards. Um, from this because the perspective of Dr. King has been changing and emerging and um here in this speech you're going to hear the tone and the uh the the urgency that he was pleading for, for to the people. So uh let's take a listen to this uh this speech in its title I've been to the mountaintop. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. <laughs> lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country. Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they have committed themselves to that over that. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. And so just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. 
don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. Yeah. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I don't think any of us can be satisfied in the United States until that war is brought to an honorable end and American soldiers are brought back here to the United States. One day, we will have to stand before the God of history. We will talk in terms of things we've done. And it seems that I can hear the God of history saying, That was not enough. But I was hungry. And you fed me not. All right, that's uh, a portion of Dr. King's last speech and couple other um, audio samples there from some um, uh, President Kennedy. I mean, pro- I'm not President Kennedy, uh, uh, Robert Kennedy, and uh, another little snippet by Dr. King. But th- did you hear the uh, the tenacity in his voice? Did you hear what he was saying? There is a, there was a sense of urgency to him, not just for the government to get right. You know, they had passed the Civil Law, uh, Civil Rights Act. They had come, you know, Johnson had done these things, but still the tenacity of the people was still not being heard or seen or recognized. And it's this that he said, listen, there is a promise, and the promise is there. The promised land is there. I may not get there with you, but this, it's still there. And every time I hear those words by Dr. King, I, I have to reflect on my generation because I was born the immediate generation following the death of Dr. King, the assassination of Dr. King. And immediately following that, you know, we it seemed as if the world opened up to black people, you know, opportunities left and right from being elected to uh, mayors of major cities to being uh, becoming presidents of uh, uh, major corp companies, uh, uh, becoming presidents and uh, uh, chancellors of universities outside those historically black colleges and universities. And, of course, you know, getting involved in the national arena with pol- politics. We had people being elected to uh, state legislatures and and uh, the House of Commons, you know, House of Representatives, not the House of Commons, the House of Representatives for the first time since Reconstruction. 
and immediately their children begin to reap the ch- their benefits. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm one of those children. I'm one of the children of those who who began to have the upper mobility that King so lobbied for in the country. And 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 I can honestly say that. It, and oftentimes I, I I'm upset and I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed because we, although we took advantage of those opportunities, we did not fulfill all of the promises that King wanted us to fulfill. I mean, yes, we yes we became integrated. Yes, we became uh, we we able we were able to go to the better schools and get the best degrees and things of that nature. Uh, we created our own form of music and literature. You know, we did those things, but in the process of of doing that, we neglected the promise, the promised land. The promised land was not for not just equal rights. The promised land was for uh, a much greater thing. And it's that much greater thing that we have lost out on in this generation. So many young people just don't get it. And it's not that they don't want to. It's just that they have no they have no value put on the movement. They have no value put on the efforts that all these men and women fought for. They have no value put on anything, excuse me, at this moment other than themselves. And they value themselves very little. And I, I can say that boldly. I'm not ashamed of that because, you know, uh, so many of us do that. So many, of, so many of us have lessened the value of the movement. <coughs> Excuse me. We've lessened the value of the movement because we've attained the things from the movement. I want to share. <coughs> excuse me. I want to share uh, part of a speech Dr. King wrote that was later included in. Um, one of his books. Um, <coughs> excuse me, I'm losing my voice, coughing all this. Uh, Dr. King wrote a wrote a speech that was put in uh, chapter uh, chapter two. Excuse me, of uh, one of his books, and I cannot think of the name of the book right off. Hold on just a second. I can look it up. Live television, live radio. Um, the speech was titled Transform Nonconformist. Um, and in that speech, he he talks about how uh, uh, the book Strength to Love, thank you, Strength to Love, um, he talks about uh, the status quo, and I, I want to read this to you first. Of, uh, I want to read this based on Romans chapter twelve, verse two: "Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind." And listen to what he says: "Do not conform" is a difficult advice for anyone living in the modern world. Oh boy. Says uh, it's difficult advice for anyone living in the modern world. The pressure of the crowd is to is constantly pouring upon us with torrential force. Our minds and feet are unconsciously conditioned to move by the rhythmic beat of the drums of the status quo. So many forces in our world are saying, if you want to live a respectable life, uh, 
just conform. Don't take a stand for unpopular causes. Don't allow the glaring lights, searchlights of public opinion to catch you standing in an isolated minority of two or three. Choose the line of least resistance. Conform. Now, when I read this, when I read these words, the powerful words that were written in 1963 are still highly relevant in 2011. But we, we, we call Dr. King the drum major for justice. And when you listen to these words, he says, we are preconditioned to march to the beat of the status quo, the drums of the status quo. And even we we want we we don't want to feel left out. We don't want to feel isolated. We want to feel we don't feel we want to don't want to feel as if we're missing anything. So what do we do? We we conform. We do what they say to do. We don't want to cause any ruckus. We don't want to fit out of place. And listen what he says: choose the line of least resistance. Conform. That's what the world is telling you. Even in the academia, uh, in social world. In a political world, they're saying conform, and he is he's saying that that those who are to be great, those who are to make a difference, are transformed nonconformists. They're transformed not only by the work of Christ in their life, but they are transformed because they understand that fitting in only means that you are getting by, and if you're just getting by then you're getting nowhere. It's a powerful, powerful thoughts. Um, again, if you want to call in, call in on the line, 917-388-4293. Uh, join us in the chat room. I want to, in the chat room to, on Blog Talk Radio, send us an email, whatever you want to do. I want to share uh, another little speech uh, by Dr. King. Um, I, I, share, I posted this on my Facebook page. And this uh, speech is a speech that doesn't get played, and it doesn't get played so much because it uh, the tone the tone of the speech is 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 amazing. So I'm going to play this speech, uh, play this, and it's going to probably sound a little grainy because it wouldn't download. So we're going to listen to it, and we'll come back to comment on it. All right, we're running into a little difficulties with this audio. 
Um, but in just, in just, uh, the gist of this message is that uh, he so eloquently put it forward. He says this: uh, No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation, no Kennedy, uh, no no Kennedy uh, Civil Rights Act, no Johnson Civil Rights Act can give the people, the black people, what they really needed. In order to do that, we have to write our own Emancipation Proclamation. It's powerful words. Why didn't it get played? Simply because it was not popular words. Uh, black people wanted to be free, but they didn't, you know, a lot of them did not want to rock the boat. I thought about this quite a few times, and as I, and I, I talked with a lot of uh, uh, those who were active participants in the civil rights movement, uh, both locally and nationally, those who have not gone on home to be with the Lord. And I've had the opportunity to meet a great deal of them. And the mindset was all the same. The mindset was all the same. The mindset was we must act now. Nobody's going to do it for us. If we don't do it, we will never get it. And it's a powerful, it's, it's a powerful thing because it's likened to the message of Christ. If we don't do it, you won't get it. God loved us. He powered, empowered us with liberty. Not just a civil liberty, but spiritual liberty. And spiritual liberty is what empowers us to be civilly liberal, you know, to have that civil liberty. We're free not because of what paper says. The Constitution gives us rights, privileges, and things of that nature, but the Constitution, uh, by itself being a man-made document, is was and is not enough to empower us to be free because if you look now, there's still so much uh civil unrest in our country. There's still so much uh so much polarity when it comes to the rights of people. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the civil rights. We're still seeing civil rights being infringed all over. But everyone's rights. And we need to take that in consideration as we go forward. I'm gonna take a, a quick little break and when I come back we will uh have some more discussion. Again, feel free to call in on the uh, on our line and chat room. Uh, we're gonna take this quick break. We'll be back right after this.
Welcome back to uh, Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. We're glad to have you in. Again, feel free to call us in, join us in the chat room, send us an email, let us know how we're doing. We're kind of, you know, a little bit on the shaky side. We've been off the air for some time and uh, in the process of trying to readjust <laughs> to being live on the air. And I tell you, it's been interesting. As I thought I was prepared, I'm always finding something a little more, a little more problematic. And um, but again, as we get the year rolling and we go forth and do more broadcasts, we will see a little bit more improvement. This segment we've been talking about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Today is the the day that we recognize and observe his birthday. It's a federally uh, federal holiday, which means banks are closed, some other businesses are closed. Uh, uh, some schools are out, not all schools are out, um, but it is a day that has been that was long fought for and highly anticipated, and, and we're glad for it. And I, I want to share a little bit more. You know, uh, every time I think about uh, Martin Luther King, the only one of the first things, the birthday, his birthday, and the celebration, one of the first things that comes to mind is. Uh, I, I remember the celebration when President Reagan proclaimed it as a national holiday. Uh, I remember the celebration. You know, we, we celebrated in church. We celebrated it at the house. I mean, it was it's like a big, great, wonderful celebration. But that celebration was topped by one song, Stevie Wonder's birthday song, <laughs> birthday uh, rendition of Happy Birthday to Dr. Martin Luther King. And uh, I have that uploaded here so I can play it, but I've been having some technical technical difficulties, and it won't play. But, uh, you know, it's amazing to me that <laughs> that um, we sing that song so often now. And yesterday, as we were observing our birthdays at our church, they burst out with that song, <laughs> that rendition of Happy Birthday to You. And of course, most people just know the the, ver- the chorus. They don't they don't know uh, if they do know the verses. They don't sing it, but everybody loves to sing the refrain because it's just a wonderful, uh, uplifting song. But I reflect on that and I think about you know just the fact that he impacted the world so much that now he now Dr. King changed how we sing, how we sing Happy Birthday to you. I want to touch on one thing. Um, because this is a federal holiday, uh, as I mentioned earlier, there are banks that are closed. There are a lot of people that are observing, uh, a lot of institutions or organizations are observing this. But, you know, when I was in school, both in high school and undergraduate and graduate, there was a great, great opposition to observing the day. And in some places, they still don't observe the day, per se, you know, as far as, uh, of course, Federal organizations, they will, banks and things of that nature. But when it came down to schools, I, I never forget the biggest challenge to uh, this national holiday came with came to the schools. And the argument was, why should we get out of school for this? This is no importance. And it wasn't just a black, you know, I mean, it wasn't just white folk arguing this. It was black folk too. And I never understood what was the problem. You know, you have no problem closing down for President's Day. You have no problem closing down for Memorial Day. Uh, but this day here for the man who uh, brought about the the change that America really needed, 
they didn't want there was so much opposition to observing the day and now that we are observing the day you know a lot of the students have no no reality no real grip on uh why we shut everything down why do we shut schools down why do you get this day off you know as particularly as predominantly black schools it's amazing me it amazes me how there's little that uh goes on at some of these schools on this day uh, but, but you know, again, I, I that's just a little side rant. I want to share a couple of quotes from some other Dr. King's uh, writings. In uh, in uh, in March 1963, he wrote. Uh, he was incarcerated in Birmingham, Alabama, and he was incarcerated. While he was incarcerated, uh, uh, there were those in the religious arena who were who were coming against him, and particularly a clergyman uh, that um, openly spoke about uh, why, openly spoke about their opposition, not to Dr. King, not to the movement, but to the method of what he was doing and how he was going about doing it. And, uh, of course, a lot of the, all these clergymen were, were white. And Dr. King, while he was in, Incarcerated in the Birmingham City Jail, wrote an open letter to these people, to these clergymen, and the letter was published in several places, several times. But uh, uh, I want to share a couple of quotes out of this letter that he so eloquently wrote. First, first quote he says, "Just as the prophets of the eighth century B.C. left their villages and carried their thus says the Lord far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns." And just as the Apostle Paul left his village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to the far corners of the Greco-Roman world, so am I compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my own hometown. Like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. And for those of you who are not familiar uh, in scriptures, uh, Paul has a... He has a vision of a man from Macedonia calling said, come here to help us. Come to Macedonia and help us. And um, he was warned by, you know, had been prophesied that if he hear to that call, it would lead to his ultimate death. But he did, and he did die you know, on Nero's chopping block. At least it's so uh, believed. But here, Martin Luther King Jr. paints himself and puts himself in the arena of those prophets, the apostles, those who had a mission and a message. And he says, my mission and my message is no different from the mission and the message of God. The mission and message of God was to liberate, as he said, the Spirit of God, Jesus said, the Spirit of God is upon me. And he says, later on in those verses, he said, to set at liberty to the bruised, to set the captives free, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, to open the sight of the blind, and things of that nature. And here, Dr. King says, this is the same reason I come. Uh, and, and, and if you read in the Old Testament, the prophets traveled to the and they they went before the kings. They went before the kings, and they proclaimed to the kings the king's unrighteousness. And they proclaimed to the kings the king the sin of the kings, the king, sin, sins of the king's children, or whatever it may have been. And they confronted injustice, unrighteousness. And and then, in off times, you know, 
they they may not have died for it. Some of them may have died, but they ultimately spoke with us. The Lord told them to speak. And I think we're lacking that today. We don't have that great prophetic voice of Dr. King alive today. Now, we have people who give some wonderful speeches, and in our churches we have lost some of the great voices of our time, or those who are the great voices of our time have been muted out by the oversimplified messages of prosperity, the oversimplified messages of uh, feel good and all these things that some of our black preachers are promoting in the churches. Those voices have been have been muted, not silenced, just muted. And it's up to us to find and recapture that prophetic voice that Dr. King had, and it comes with a consequence. It comes with a consequence. The consequence is death, uh, death of your ministry, death of something that's dear to you. Uh, it may even be death of your life, but, you know, we've gotten a little more civil now in the past 50 years. And I was sharing with some young people the other day, I said, you you fail to realize it's been less than 50 years that most of these events, these great events that changed America happened. 55, when Rosa Parks sat down on the bus, in the front seat in the bus and was asked, and she was arrested. Uh, 63, when King made his his speech. 68, when he was killed, and, and we could go on. And most of the most of the valuable rights that we we now have as black people, we really didn't get into the 70s. We really didn't see the fruition of all of those works, uh, decades of work, until the 70s. And 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 now we need a voice. We need a voice. We need a voice because yes, we we're equal. We're not separate, but we're equal. But in that in that equality, we have lost our, our real identity. Uh, you know, some of you may contradict. You may not have that 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 feeling. But again, that's that's how it is. Uh, share one more quote, and then I'm gonna take a break, and we'll be closing out the show. The show. I love this quote uh, again, coming from a letter from Birmingham jail. Listen to these words. Oppressed people cannot remain oppressed forever. The yearning for freedom eventually manifests itself, and that is what has happened to the American Negro. Something within reminded him of his birthright of freedom, and something without has reminded him that it can be gained. Consciously or unconsciously, he has been caught up by the Zikis. And with his black brothers of Africa, his brown and yellow sisters, of, brothers and sisters of Asia, South America, and the Caribbean, the United States Negro is moving with a sense of great urgency toward the promised land of racial justice. If one recognizes this vital urge that has, been, that has engulfed the Negro community, one should readily understand why public demonstrations are taking place. It's a powerful thing that he says here. Uh, this, uh, again, you know, it's just the fact that he says there was an urgency, a great sense of urgency. It's not the urgency to be right. It's the urgency to live right. It's not the urgency to just be seen and not heard. It's the urgency to be seen and heard and felt. It's a great legacy. I'm going to take a quick break, and then we'll come right back, and we will... uh begin wrapping up the show 
Again, if you want to join us in the conversation, feel free to call us at 917-388-4293. Join us in the chat room, blog, chat room, blog talk radio, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, all of those things. We're coming right back. Here's Fred uh, Hammond, No Weapon Formed Against Us. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. It won't work. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. It won't work. Say no. 
For young people, it's a mental chain, the chain of not wanting to go forth in education. It's the chain of wanting to be conformed to the world and instead of being nonconformed, transformed nonconformist. What chain uh, uh, do you think is trying to oppress you, trying to get you back into bondage and and make up your mind today to be free? Who Christ set free is free indeed. The government has set us free, and we don't need to be bound. This is the time for us to speak up and look at our society and look at our race and say, yes, we've come a mighty long way. We're no longer singing, we shall overcome. We are singing, we have overcome. But in the process of doing that, what will we do to change our world? That's just the thought for us today, and I, I do pray that you have a wonderful day, a wonderful week. And those of you who are going forward in the rest of the day to celebrate Dr. King, we wish you well. We lift you up high that you will glorify God and continue to share the legacy of Dr. King on this great day. So, again, thank you for joining us today on Zero Today. Pastor Rachel Hill.